um, I think what we're going to start doing is, because we've got six weeks of this series, and so um, we're going to see that a few times. I think we should start having people stand next to the monitor, and we can watch them make the facial expressions along with. That's just absolutely my favorite meme of all time. I love that. So if you're with us this morning and you weren't here last week, let me explain what this is all about. We're doing a series in Luke 16 and 17 called Wait What? Um, if you don't know what wait what means, it's kind of what you might say when you hear something a little bit surprising. Uh, the example that I gave last week was if I told you that Wendy and I went out to supper last night and it was so good, the food was fantastic, even though the server spit on our food, we enjoyed it, you'd be like, wait, what? Because I said they spit in our food. And you'd be like, I don't know what that means exactly. Can you explain it? So what I told you was Luke 16 and 17, we're working through the book of Luke. Um, it's, last week, Parker was like, well, we were looking to see when you started. We started in, in Luke in 2015. We haven't done it every Sunday since then, but we've been in Luke for a while. And um, as we work through it, we kind of take whatever passage is next. And I got to Luke 16, and I read it, and I was like, no way. I am not preaching that, which means I'm going to preach it, right? So the gift of preaching through books is you get to these parts that you would rather not talk about, but you have to because it's there. And what I love about this, these are all like two weeks, I mean, two chapters full of kind of hard things. Uh, last week we talked about money. There's hard things that you, you maybe most preachers would rather not talk about. But what I've learned is God talks about the hard places because he loves the people that are in those places. Hard things happen. How many of you know that's true in life? And so we talk about them because God loves us. He wants us to know how to handle it, what to do when we're in those places. Last week we kicked the year off talking about money. Right? And here's what I told you last week. The shock and awe, it says, you know, like six weeks of shock and awe. The shocking part about money that we learned last week is this. If you follow the money trail, you'll eventually find your heart. So what I told you was if you followed our money trail, what you would find is a lot of Mexican restaurants. We love Mexican food. Can I get an amen from somebody in the house? It'll make me feel a lot better, okay, so I'm not alone, all right? So, and, you know, yours could be different. I mean, there's other things that we love as well, but if you follow the money trail, eventually you'll find your heart. And listen, that's not a good message if your heart's in the wrong place. Because what Jesus said last week to the religious people was you can't love God and money. You can only love one or the other. And so if, you're, if you follow the money trail and you find out that your heart's in the wrong place, that can feel like a really, like, wait, what? But the all, the beautiful part of that message about money is this. Here's what we learned last week. You can actually sow into what you want to grow into. Isn't that great? Like, you, if you're, you're like, I don't have a heart for God's stuff. Hey, I got an idea. Just start giving to it. Just get, put your money where you want your heart to go, and I promise you, your heart will follow it. You can actually begin to give to what you want to have a passion for. So that was last week. Um, now this morning, we're going to continue this. We're going to be in Luke chapter 16, uh, verses mainly 16, 17, and 18. We'll probably pick it up in 14. But before we get to the, the teaching and the scripture, I want to show you a really quick video because what I want you to know is this. No matter how uncomfortable this morning could feel, and it will feel uncomfortable to some degree, man, God is for us. He tells us truth because he loves us and he wants to save us. And I got a video just to help illustrate that point. So there's, um, there's a passage in Proverbs that says this, the wounds of a friend are faithful and true. And, and listen, true friends will speak truth to us. 
I think that's one thing I love about Jesus. I love, I love that when God was putting the Bible together, he didn't just include, like he didn't leave it up to us. If you wrote the Bible and I wrote the Bible, if you wrote a book about yourself, you would only include the good stuff, right? But he included all of it, the hard stuff, everything. Why? Because he has a heart for people. It's important this morning. This morning we're talking about something that I have absolutely no experience in. And all week long, man, I was getting ready for this. I'm getting more and more afraid. God, I don't know if I want to speak this stuff. I don't have any experience. And suddenly, don't, don't make, my lack of experience has zero to do with the authority of God's Word. Right? Zero. Our experiences don't change what the Word of God says. So this morning, we are going to talk about an area that will affect a lot of you. We were talking about this between services. If we started adding up all the people who have been through this or have seen it in their parents or have known a friend, I bet we'd be close to 100% of the people in this room that have been affected by divorce. Now, I wouldn't pick this topic except it's the very next one in the passages that we're studying. And so what I want you to know is this. I want you to know that God is on your side. He loves you without a doubt. I'm going to deflate, if I can, the, the one scripture at the very beginning, before we even dive into Luke, the one scripture that you've probably heard before, especially if you've been through divorce. There's a verse in Malachi, Malachi 2.16, and here's what it says, three harsh-sounding words. It says, God hates divorce. And, and if you've been in church any in your life, you've probably heard a preacher preach that, pounding the pulpit when he did it. And, man, it can make you feel horrible. Let me just be really super clear. God 100% hates divorce. Do you know why? Because divorce hurts people, and God loves people, period. He hates divorce because divorce hurts people, and God loves people. As I was preparing for this message, I was reading an article written by a woman who had been through divorce, a believer, and here's how she started the article. Just listen to these words. 35 years ago in February of 1985, I got divorced. So far, I've lived 59 years, and without a doubt, divorce was the worst season of my life. Nothing I've suffered since that time even comes close. Not a wayward child, not a stroke, not the betrayal of a close friend, not job loss, not watching the collapse of a ministry, not the death of a parent, not a root canal when the Novocaine didn't work. Absolutely nothing compares to the horrific pain of having a spouse decide, I don't, after saying, I do. Listen, God hates divorce because divorce hurts people and God loves people. And here's something else I realized. I don't know that I've ever met somebody who's been affected by divorce who wouldn't agree with God. They hate it too. Nobody likes it. Everybody hates it because it's hard and it hurts. And Jesus addresses it in Luke chapter 16. Now, before we even get into the teaching, okay, I want to make this absolutely clear. If you're here this morning, and there are people here this morning, and you've been through divorce, you've been affected by divorce, maybe it was your parents, maybe it was your marriage, listen closely to these words. You are loved, you are not weird, you are not second class, and this is the one I want you to get more than anything else. You are not relegated to a life of almost what God wants. Almost good enough. Like I was doing really well and then divorce. And now I guess I just got to stumble through life because I can never quite have what God wanted. Now my God is more powerful than that. He's way more powerful than divorce. 
and you have hope. And nothing I say this morning changes any of that, no matter how it makes you feel at the time. So before we go any further, here's what we're going to do. <laughs> A little spiritual warfare. Is that cool with y'all? I told you I was getting more and more nervous as I got ready to preach this because I was like, oh, God, what are they going to say? What are they going to think? And here's what God told me. He said, do you know what, Paul? When you teach my word, you should never read more of my word and get more afraid. His word does not lead us to fear because it's truth, right? His word is truth. And, and you could hear some of this, and I can guarantee this is going to happen because I know how the enemy works. If you've been affected by this, if, even right now, I'm not sure you're even hearing these words because, like, right now there's, like, a little white cloud forming around your peripheral vision because you're like, oh, why did I come to church today? Why did I come today? Why, of all days, why am I here today? Because you need to hear what God thinks about this because he knows it's hard and he loves you, right? And so here's what we're going to do right now. We're just going to take authority over the enemy. Because the enemy loves this little S word. You think the S word's the other word, but it's really shame. He loves shame. He loves to make your head drop, but God is the lifter of your head. And so I'm going to pray for you right now before we even begin, okay? I think you're going to be amazed. I have a lot more confidence this service than I did last service. You know why? Because between services, I had a lot of divorced people come up to me and say, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing what you shared in the way that you shared it. So I know that God is going to minister to your heart today, okay? But let's do this. Let's just get rid of shame right now. Can we do that? Father, in your name, Lord, shame is just awful. It's not from you, and so we just stand against it in the authority of the name of Jesus. It has zero place in this house. Your truth is what reigns supreme here. And I thank you that your truth is not mean, It might be hard, but it doesn't have to be harsh. And you're going to accompany it with the spirit of comfort and truth. God, you're going to lead us right where we need to go. And so I pray for anybody in this room right now who just hearing the word began to bring back those feelings of shame. I pray that those believers would leave here today knowing that you are the lifter of their head, that you are the lover of their soul. And that they are not stuck in a bad place because of something bad that happened. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, so um, here's what we're going to do. We're in Luke 16. Uh, I'm just going to break this into two parts. The first part is it's always about the heart, and then we'll talk about are there reasons that you can or should get divorced. So um, Luke 16, we're going to be in 16, 17, and 18. Here's what um, Jesus says. Until John the Baptist the law of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guides. Now, why in the world is Jesus talking about the law right there? So we've got to jump back a little bit, okay? If you weren't here with us last week, then let me just really quickly bring you up to date. Last week we talked about finances because Jesus was talking to the Pharisees about money. And here's what he said in verse 14. After he had talked to them about money, the Pharisees, verse 14, who dearly loved their money, heard all of this and scoffed at him. And then he said, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. God knows your hearts. It's always about the heart. Okay? So here's what's going on with these religious men. Jesus teaches them about money. He teaches them about loving God more than trusting money. And he focused on their heart more than on their wallet. And they laughed. And why did they laugh? Because the Bible, we just read it, they're looking to justify themselves. So when you're trying to justify yourself, then you want just like, hey, whatever you're saying, Jesus, it doesn't really matter to my life because I'm good. 
And Jesus knew that nobody is good except God, right? So he's trying to get them to the place where they can see that what they're saying isn't really what they're doing. He's trying to get them to focus on their heart more than on their behavior. And so he introduces the law, verse 16. Until John the Baptist, the law of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your gods. These people were all about the law of Moses, what we would call today the Old Testament, especially the first five books of the Old Testament. That was their law. And they wrote laws and rules. Man, they were all about the law, okay? They were like the Barney Fife of religion back then, right? They were all about the law, okay? And so Jesus is challenging them. He's saying, look, you've let the law be your God, but now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone is eager to get in. So you had the law, but now you have the good news. And he says all this, and in verse 18 he says, for example, a man who divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, and anyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. And we have to ask ourselves this question, why did Jesus go from the law and the gospel and just drop the divorce bomb right there? Like, why in the world? It's like, he could have picked a million examples, but he picked that one. Why did he do it? Okay, are you with me so far? Hang in there. Matthew 19. Matthew 19 is where we have to go to understand why Jesus would drop that bomb right there. So in Matthew 19, He's talking to the Pharisees again. It's possible this is the same conversation, but Luke chose to include one verse where Matthew included like 10, okay? But just follow me. Here we go. It's always about the heart. I want you to see how Jesus is not focusing on the action. He's focusing on the heart. And here's what happens in verse 3. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with a question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Your translation might say for any and every reason. Now, here's why that's important. The law that they said they followed did not allow, it was not God's intent for them to be able to divorce people for any and every reason. But they lived at a time when men had all the power and women had no power. And literally, literally, a man could go to a priest in the Old Testament, and he could say something like this. Well, this morning I got up and my wife had burnt the eggs. I think I'm done with her. Could you write me a certificate of divorce, please? And the priest might say something like, well, do you have some money? Because if you give me some money, I'll give you a certificate of divorce. Do you see how skewed that is? Do you see how abusive that is to the women in that culture? And how the men who said they were all about the law would write it, rewrite it, interpret it, use it, twist it to achieve their desired end. And what Jesus is saying back in our passage in Luke is, hey, you guys that are struggling with money so much, do you know why you're struggling with money so much? Because your heart's not in it. Because you say one thing, but you, see, you believe something else. Because, see, you've always been all about the law, but I know how you work the law. You work the law to your advantage, but now the gospel has come. And the gospel says, you're not good, I'm not good, only God's good. We all need to repent before God. But you don't even want to do that. You just want to continue to appear like you believe in the law, even though you don't want to live the law. And then Jesus goes, for example, y'all been giving a lot of people divorces when you shouldn't. And what you've done is there's one reason, we'll get to that in a minute, there's only one time. They said, can a man in Matthew, can a man give, get a divorce for any and every reason? And Jesus says, uh, as far as I can see, there's one reason, 
Do you see how he took all of it and boiled it down to like, no, it's not quite what you think it is. And check this out. Haven't you read the scriptures? Sorry, um, we're going back and forth. Matthew, Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. All y'all married couples are like, oh, that's like when we got married. Yes. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God. Did anybody else just go Princess Bride for a moment? Okay. Marriage. That blessed arrangement. That dream within a dream. So treasure your love. Yeah, it's not in here. I'm just, it's from the movie. Sorry. So what, what I want you to see is um, first service didn't get that. That was a bonus for y'all. I'm just feeding off your energy. So what I want you to see is the, the, the Pharisees, because they want to trap Jesus. And let me just say this, by the way. You'll talk about this more in your community group. People always want to use your pain to trap you. Always. Oh, you say you're a believer. Well, didn't you used to? Always. The enemy always wants to trap you with your past. They try to trap Jesus by bringing up divorce. Isn't that crazy? They try to trap him by asking a trick question. Well, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? Because what they know in the back of their minds is we've been doing it for years. And does Jesus even address their question? Do you, know, do you have any know-it-alls in your life? You want to drive them crazy? When they ask you something that you know they know the answer to, don't even address the question. Talk about something else. They ask Jesus about divorce, and Jesus talks about marriage. Well, let's forget about divorce. Let's talk about marriage. Jesus says, don't you know that from the beginning, God made them male and female? From the beginning, his desire was a man and a woman together for life, that they would become one. So he never intended if they were going to become one that they would divorce, because if you put two things together and pull them apart, what happens? A lot of rippage. I don't know if that's a word, but we made it. A lot of things ripping and tearing because you put something together and pulled it apart. And so because Jesus gives that answer, verse 7, here's what they said. Well, then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Yeah, Jesus, like, if we're not supposed to get divorced, how come Moses said we could do it? And here's what Jesus says. Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. It's always about the heart. Always about the heart. The law looks for a loophole. Spirit leads to life. The law looks for a loophole. The spirit leads to life. These men that were so religious, they would be like, well, we'll oh, it's all about the law. We'll, we'll interpret the law in a way that lets you get out and keeps them down. But the gospel came to give life to all. Men and women. What does it say in Galatians? In the Christ there is no male nor female, no freed nor slave. All of us are made righteous in Christ. The law looks for a loophole. These, these Pharisees were looking for a loophole, but why did Moses let us? And Jesus just nails them because it's your heart. Your heart is hard. And because your heart is hard, you're always looking for a way out. But my spirit is calm. The gospel is here because I want to give you life. I love, um, I love the disciples' response in verse 10. Jesus said, well, Jesus' disciples said, if that's the case, it's better not to marry. Yeah, possibly, right? 
they kind of got it. Like marriage is a big deal. But it's not because it's not God wants to trap you. God has a plan that's greater than divorce, right? It's not to find a loophole so you can get out of a bad marriage. It's because the Spirit wants to bring life to your marriage, okay? He's for you. God was for marriage from the beginning. Man was for divorce. Do you, you get that? I want you to hear that, okay? That's important. You've got to hold on to that, okay? You've got to hold on to the fact that the Spirit wants to lead us to life because we're going to now turn to the really practical part of the message, which is what you came for, right? So when is divorce allowed in the Bible? Are, Pastor Paul, are there verses in the Bible that you could show me that would t- say it's okay for me to pursue a divorce? And I love, I love this, one, this one statement that I found when I was preparing um, somebody had written this. Instead of asking if blank is grounds for divorce, is this grounds for divorce? Maybe instead we should be saying, is this grounds for forgiveness, counseling, reconciliation, the Spirit of God to work a miracle? We can't state this enough. God hates divorce because divorce hurts people, and God loves people. I want you to hear me say this clearly. Divorce is not inevitable. It's not inevitable. It does not have to be the option. We recognize that sometimes it is, but it does not have to be. And God is greater than a bad marriage. So, okay, these three, I'm going to give you three reasons. They're not loopholes to try to get out. The reasons that are given in Scripture. Here's number one, adultery. Adultery, um, and I've got sexual immorality in parentheses. Here's what um, we learn in Matthew chapter 5, 32, and then we already read Matthew 19, 9. Jesus said, I tell you this, he's talking to the, the Pharisees who were saying, hey, for any and all reason, can we get divorced? And Jesus said, I'll tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Now, he was talking to a group of men. You understand that, right? If he'd been talking to a group of women, he would have said, unless the man commits adultery and was unfaithful. So adultery is biblically, it would be grounds for divorce. Does it mean you have to pursue it? No. Does it mean that it's the end of everything in your marriage? No, but it's grounds biblically for divorce. The Greek word, let's dig a little bit deeper. The Greek word for adultery is pornea. Does anybody know what word comes from pornea? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Oh, I was, I was hoping porcupine. <laughs> Nobody said porcupine. Yes, por- pornography. We get pornography from that word pornea. But what the word pornea means is sexual immorality, all kinds of sexual immorality, incest, lesbianism, homosexuality, all kinds of sexual immorality is what that word means. We know probably most, most of us would recognize porn. What Jesus is saying is, man, in those, in those cases of sexual immorality, there may be grounds biblically for divorce. Because the covenant between you and your husband, you and your spouse and God has been broken through sexual immorality. It does not mean you have to get divorced. It just means that you may have grounds to pursue that conversation. Here's the second reason. Abandonment. 1 Corinthians 7, 15 says this, But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. 
In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. What Paul's basically saying is this. If you're in a marriage, and especially one of you is a believer and one of you is not, and if that unbelieving spouse says, I want out, in order for the believing spouse to live a life of peace, what you should not do is grab their belt buckle and pull them and keep them in the house as long as possible because if you've ever tried that, that's not peaceful. He said, you know, just let them go. As I was listening to some messages, I was preparing for, for, this, for this message, I heard one story about a, um, a woman who loved Jesus and her husband used to love Jesus and he suddenly stopped loving Jesus and he said to her, you can't go to church anymore, you can't read your Bible, you can't take the kids to church, you will not talk to our children about Jesus. And she was like, oh, what do I do? And she finally said to him, you know what, here's the deal, I love Jesus, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to talk to my children about Jesus and I'm going to go to church. And he said, if you do those things, I will leave you. And she said, well, that's not what I want, but I'm going to choose Jesus. That's what he's talking about here. Okay? You with me so far? By now, the gravity of the situation should start to kind of settle, right? You're starting to feel that. All right? That's why we prayed against that shame earlier because it's so easy to start going, oh, if I'd have known what I knew now, well, then, you know, what? I'd have done something different. But... You're just like the disciples, right? When Jesus said no one, should get a, no one should get a divorce except in the case of sexual immorality, when Jesus said that, the disciples said, huh, maybe we shouldn't even get married. Now let me ask you this question. How many of you that have been married for a while would give really good advice to somebody who's thinking about getting married? It's amazing to me how quickly we rush into marriage. Let me just tell you this. Who you marry is the second most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Jesus is first, and who you'll spend your life with is second. And we make it so, like, nonchalantly, right? You'll say, you'll say things like, but he's so hot. He is, and someday he'll be fat. There'll be a whole lot of hot. And he's like, man, just, just look at her, Paul. She is smoking hot. And it will cost you a ton of money to keep her that way. Like beauty fades, man. I don't know that hot's going to get you over a 50-year marriage. And what Jesus is saying is maybe we should stop and hit the pause button. Maybe we should think about this. You'd be amazed, or maybe you wouldn't be, how few couples want pre-marriage counseling, but how many of those couples need after-marriage counseling. Man, we should be like the disciples. We should, if you're single in the house, you should be hitting the pause button on dating right now. Just, just at least for a moment and kind of be like, whoa, this might mean a little bit more than I think. It doesn't mean you shouldn't date. It just means like you should, with your eyes open, right? We're preparing our hearts for marriage and for marriages that will last a lifetime. Again, these are not loopholes, Right? Here's what I mean by loopholes. This is a crazy example. None of you would ever do it. But can you imagine if you were in a marriage that was just loveless and lifeless and you hated it and you just wanted to get out and you were here at this message right now and you heard reason number one, adultery. And your solution is to go home and say something to your spouse like, 
have you ever noticed so-and-so? You should get to know them a little bit better. You know, I put a playboy under the bed just for you. A little pornea for you. Try to push them towards doing that so you have an out. Do you see what I'm saying? That's, what, that's when you know your heart is far from God. The spirit leads to life. The law looks for a loophole. I don't want you looking for loopholes out. I want you looking for spirit, the spirit to bring you life to help you stay in. Man, God is always for marriage. He hates divorce because even if I could line up people in this room that have been through divorce, they would say, think it through. Right? Think it through. Don't do it rashly. We have a culture that marries quickly and divorces faster. And I think all God's saying is this thing is holy, and maybe we should just like whoop, pump the brakes a little bit and think and pray. You'd be surprised how many times I've asked people if they've prayed about who they should marry. And all I can get is, well, I think it's this person. <laughs> Dude, I would not make my second most important decision on a think. Have you fasted about it? Well, I really love food. Huh. Okay. Maybe this is important, right? Maybe this is something we should think about. Adultery and abandonment, we've got to move on. Here's the third reason. The first two are very obvious in Scripture. The third one, uh, let me just explain it a little bit. I put down abuse and I put hardness of heart in parentheses. We've already read one of these Scriptures. Um, it was when Jesus said that Moses permitted divorce because of your hard hearts. Um, if you go all the way back to Malachi chapter 2, uh, here's what was written by the prophet to the people of God in Malachi chapter 2. Just listen closely and I'll explain it. Verse 11, Judah has been unfaithful and a detestable thing has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. The men of Judah, just think believers, have defiled the Lord's sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. Think unbelievers. So men married women that they should never have married, Okay. A quick dating tip. If you're dating somebody, no matter how nice they are and they don't love Jesus, break up with them. Okay, we'll just move on because that didn't go over well. Except for the people in the house that were like, dude, I wish you'd have told me that before. I, whatever. Regret's a real thing. May the Lord cut off from the nation of Israel every last man who has done this, believing man married an unbelieving woman, and here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning, because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? Translation, why don't I feel it? I used to feel it. I don't feel it anymore. Why don't I feel it? Why doesn't he accept my worship? I'll tell you why, the prophet says. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth, for I hate divorce, says the Lord. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. It's always about the heart. Abuse. When you're hard and harsh physically, verbally, and it's an indication of your own heart. And in that case, God steps in. What I think is amazing about this, what a picture of the gospel, is that you have believing men who are being harsh to unbelieving women, and who did God defend? The women. The unbelieving women. 
Right? I love that. He, he protected the ones who didn't know better, who were trapped, who were victims of that abuse. He stepped in and protected them. He said, I hate divorce, but I love these women. I love these victims. I'm going to protect them. Because of the hardness of your heart, because the hardness of your heart is, is resulting in abuse to the spouse, Jesus says, I'm permitting Moses, God permitted Moses to write certificates of divorce. Abuse. In other words, to protect one spouse from abuse from the other, God may allow for divorce. Now, we're going to wrap all this up, and um, I, I keep using the word may, and here's why. Because who makes the call if you have biblical grounds for divorce? I can hear you. I do. No, you don't. You can't. You cannot make the call about your own life. You need people in your life. I would, here's what I would recommend. If you've heard these three and you're like, you know what, I think I might, I'm not, I'm not looking for a way out, but I think that might be like, I think I might need to talk to somebody about that. Here's what I would recommend. One, find a pastor. I hope I'm your pastor. Find a pastor you can talk to that can give you godly counsel, that can begin a conversation about what's really going on in your marriage and about if it might be time to pursue separation while you pray about divorce. And I don't mean separation so I can go date. I mean like literally separated from your spouse and only to God while he tells you, gives you wisdom. And I would find this other, this other group, and there are people in our church that can help you with this. I would find people who have been through divorce, who love Jesus, who have come on the other side of divorce and are, are serving Jesus now and are in really good places. Like their second marriage is, is beyond their expectation of what their first marriage ever was, right? Because their life doesn't stop with divorce. God has a plan. I would find those people and I would have really frank conversations about what they went through. And, and here's what I think they'll tell you. And here's why I know, because I had somebody tell me this already this morning. And they're in the situation I just described. And here's what they said. I'm so glad you're talking about this today because we divorced quickly because nobody bothered to tell us that we didn't have to. And this person's in a good second in a good marriage. I mean, it's like they're not saying I you know, wish I could go back. They're just saying I wish somebody had told me something. Remember the guy going off the cliff? Like speak up, say something. And that's all this is, right? is that God speaks into the hard places. And so if you're in a position where you're contemplating divorce, then I would recommend wise counsel from a spiritual leader, and I would recommend wise counsel from people who have been through what you're contemplating going through. And then I want to leave you with some hope. Can I do that? And then we'll pray. I want to give you two, two statistics, two, two findings from two studies that just rocked me, man. I love these. Um, first of all, let me tell you this. The greatest lie in culture about marriage and divorce is that, this, is that the percentage of divorce is the same in the church as it is outside the church. So you probably heard that. Somebody got up and said, hey, you know, the divorce, divorce rate's 50%, whether you're in church or out of church. And so, like, how much hope is that, right? So I'm going to get married. I got one or two shot. That's horrible, right? I would, that's like I'm never going to get married. But here's the truth. There's a man who did a study, and he didn't just ask questions like, are you a Christian? Because if I asked everybody in Stanley County if they're a Christian, they'd be like, uh, yeah, I love Jesus. Okay, 
Are you living for Jesus, right? Loving and living may be two different things. So this man qualified it. He didn't just say, do you love Jesus? He, he asked very specific questions to find out if Christian couples were really living a Christian lifestyle. And here's what he found. If you have three qualities in your marriage, you cut the likelihood of divorce in half. Now, I don't know about you, but as a married couple, I wrote these three down. Because I would like to not be divorced. I don't, we're not planning on it. We good? Okay. It's always good to touch base, isn't it? Always good to touch base. Okay. So here's the, here's the three, and now we've got we to wrap this up. Here's the three things that you have. If you have these qualities in your marriage, it reduces your chance of divorce by 50%. You attend church together. If you're here today with your spouse, you're like, check, right? You attend church together. Faithfully attending church together. That's one of the three. You have shared theology. By the way, this study was not done by a pastor because it sounds just like what a pastor would say, but it's not. It's not done by a pastor at all, okay? Shared theology. What does that mean? It means that you agree about the fundamentals of your faith. I'm not going home saying, we're going to be a family that lives by the truth of the Bible, and Wendy's like, eh, who needs it? But we share theology. Attend church regularly together. Share theology. And then here's number three. You practice the faith in your home. So you don't just go to church on Sunday. You don't just have a set of beliefs that you talk about. But you actually live them out day to day in your home. My children are never surprised to hear the word Jesus in our house. They never hear the word God followed by his bad last name in our house. They don't hear MF in our house. We live our faith in our house. We are not perfect. A lot of you probably have a much better prayer life than we do as a family. But I'll tell you one thing. Every morning, God willing, unless one of us is in a bed sick, our family holds hands at the door and prays before we head out the door. We're living our faith the best we know how, and God helps us do it better as we go along. And we're 26 years in. I don't think we're going to stop. Practicing your faith at home, not going to church, hearing a message, and going home and never talking about Jesus but practicing it in your home, devotions, praying. These are things that if you have those three things, you reduce the likelihood of divorce by 50%. That's good stuff, okay? Here's the second finding. If you come to us for premarriage counseling, we will ask you to read a book by Tim Keller called The Meaning of Marriage. It's a great book. You have to think a lot when you read it. I have to read paragraphs two or three times. So it's good that I get to read it over and over again because it helps me, right? But I read one, one finding in there, and it blew my mind. I highlighted it, and then I re-highlighted it. I'm going to eventually tear through the page from highlighting it so much. And here's the finding, and I love this, okay? Married couples, just listen to this. Again, not a Christian doing this study. This is a non-Christian just doing a sociological study, and here's what he found when it comes to marriage. Two-thirds, that is 66.7%, rounded up so it's not an evil number, 66.7%, two out of every three, two-thirds of unhappy marriages become happy marriages within five years if they just stay together. Two-thirds of unhappy marriages become happy marriages within five years if they just stay together. Now, let's end it with grace. Because if you're in a bad marriage... A day can feel like five years. So I know I, I just say five years, like, yeah, five years. But you're like, I can't do five minutes. But the point is this. 
man, if we just learn, God, give me the strength to stick this out. Not if you're being abused. Not if you're in a dangerous position. But listen, those three reasons that we gave in the Bible, those are not reasons for you to leave here and Tuesday morning, because tomorrow's a holiday, Tuesday morning, show up at the courthouse and file for divorce. Those are reasons for you to have a conversation with a spiritual leader, with wise friends who understand the Bible and know how much God loves you, and because he loves you, hates the divorce that you're contemplating. Start those conversations. And I will tell you this, in our church, I know of people in those situations who have stuck it out, and God has done amazing things. I know people in my life who have seen God overcome all three of those reasons. He's greater than the loophole, even if the loophole's legit. So I want to pray for you this morning that, especially if you're here and you've been touched by divorce, okay, that you would not hear angry, you better not. But what you would hear is, man, God has a plan for your life. Your life did not stop when you got divorced. He continues on. He's a restorer. He's a redeemer. He has good plans. And and this church will never be the church that makes you feel like a second-class citizen because you've been through divorce. Here's why. Because if divorce is something God hates, it's because it's a sin, right? Raise your hand if you sinned yesterday. Raise your hand if you sinned in the last five minutes. You're like, wait, you're preaching. I know, but I still have a brain. Man, sin is something, you know know what you do with sin? Sin is something that you take to Jesus and you repent of. If you're here this morning and you've been through divorce, and let's just paint the worst-case scenario. If I'm in your shoes and I heard me preach this message, and I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, I was divorced 10 years ago, and it wasn't for any one of those three that you put up there. Oh, crap. What do I do now, Paul? You repent. What do I do about conversations that I've had in the past when I was too harsh and God brings it to my mind? I repent. I can't go back and fix it. You can't go back 10 years and undo it. You repent now. And 1 John 1 9 says he's faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. How amazing is that? And so from this day forward, God, I can't change the past, but from this moment forward, man, I want to live for you. And I'm asking you to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. I repent of what I, sh- of what I could have done then if I'd have known then what I know now, which is what the lady this morning told me. If I'd have known then what you said today, I might have a different outcome. I might have done it differently. Thank you. And that's all we're going to do. So if, as I pray for you, if you're in that position, I'm going to ask you just to repent to the Lord from your heart, right? Not like to, for a show, but from your heart because it's always about the heart, okay? All right? So, Father, right now in your name, Jesus, I thank you for your truth. I thank you that you speak into the hard places because you have a heart for those that are trapped there. What an honor it is, God, to serve a Lord like you who, who would not just allow a culture and a country a city, a church, to just run rampant in an area of divorce that hurts so many people, but you would actually speak life into that moment. And so we thank you for your Holy Spirit. 
that brings life in these situations. And I pray right now, God, your peace over those of us in the room who have been convicted by your spirit. I thank you that there is no condemnation in Christ, but that when we feel that conviction, it's just a sign that we need to make things right. And so we just ask that you would forgive us, God. We repent of past decisions that might not have been based on present truth. And we thank you that when we do that, God, because of Jesus, your forgiveness is real, it's immediate, and it's powerful. And you cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I pray peace over this house. I pray that we would walk out expecting great things going forward more than regretting bad things behind us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.